Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody? Good. Um, if I preach down there, would everyone be able to see me? No? No. I heard some no's. I don't Okay. I'll stay up here. Okay? And then for tonight, you let me know if... Okay, we'll, we'll make a decision. I don't, I don't have a preference. <clears throat> but this lets me see your faces. Who's sleeping? You know, things like that. And one of the things that I always tell people is it's tough. You know, if you stay up to like 3, 4 in the morning talking about which girl you like and, you know, all these things, it's, it's tough to stay awake. So if you start falling asleep, you want to go to the back, okay? I've never seen a student fall asleep standing up except for one. He was leaning up against the wall, and I think he almost fell out of a window. No, I'm just kidding. So just stand in the back, and you won't fall asleep. All right, here we go. Uh, let's take a look at the book of Luke Chapter 19. Okay, title of today's sermon is, uh, He's Never Just Passing By. He's Never Just Passing By. <clears throat> Luke chapter 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through, right? It sounds very much like he's just passing by. And verse 2, and behold, There was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. In verse 7, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, today, this very moment, salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear God, would you once again have mercy on all of our souls, from pastors to counselors to worship leaders to students. Every one of us is in great need of your mercy every single moment that we are here. Until you return, until you bring us home, we are desperate for your presence. Lord God, grant us the exposure necessary to repent, to repent deeply, because we fear not judgment. We thank you because you are good and that you are God. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Through the story of Zacchaeus, I'm going to highlight three things, okay? So I'll tell you where the roadmap is. The first is this. There is not a single encounter with Jesus that is an accident. So he's never just passing by. Number two, every encounter with Jesus is an opportunity where the exposure of our idols and this exposure is the single most loving thing that he can do in our lives. And number three... The power of transformation is in the relationship that is offered. The grace, the command that is given to us within the command in itself is the very power for us to overcome. Okay. Um, Yesterday, you saw God face to face as the one, the father who longs for you to come home. So yesterday was about this capturing love of a father's heart that longs for you, that wants to bring you home, that is willing to give up his only son, put him on the cross for our sins to bring you home, to make you his. And, you know, some of you guys came up to me afterwards and told me about, man, I, I never saw that text that way, that it's the father's love, and I'm captured by that love, and I'm so thankful, and I'm so glad that you came to me and said that to me, because I have no idea what's going on right now in your heads. 
You could be like Chipotle. I miss Chipotle, right? You look like you're paying attention, but you're thinking about Chipotle. And today, I want you to come face to face with the one who may expose your most vulnerable weaknesses, fears, and idols that grip your heart. These are the things that you don't say to anyone. You're so afraid to let anyone see it that you would bury it, that you would do everything and anything to make sure that no one can see you, to be almost naked and exposed to a point where you feel like, oh, you feel the most uncomfortable as you've ever felt in your life. And what I'm here to tell you is that coming face to face with God in your most vulnerable places is the greatest grace you will find in your life. Because it will be his kindness that brings you into repentance. Okay, so here we go. What we find here in this story is Zacchaeus, and he's the chief tax collector. This is what chief tax collector is. I have a friend who is, went to UVA with me, um, and he graduated, and he went to comm school, and he's just super smart, super like go-get-it, business-oriented, and so he did uh, investment banking. And who here knows what investment banking is? Okay, some of you, right? Investment banking basically comes down to you take the richest people in the world and you take their money and they invest it in you and then you take it, do a whole lot of research, invest in a company, and then it blows up and you make billions, right? And so he did that and he would like, you know, get promotions and he would become vice president and all these things. And so he made it really rich, so big, all these people working under him. He was with Lehman Brothers before it crashed and burned, but they kept him on board to keep everything alive. I mean, he was one of those guys. And so if you look at Zacchaeus, he was that guy who made so much money, and it was based on the fact that he was the chief tax collector, and the other tax collectors would collect money that was due to Rome, right, the people who suppressed the Israelite people. And what they would do is Rome would say, hey, I want you to get $5 from the people. And the tax collectors would go, oh, $5, and then I have to give $3 to Zacchaeus, and so let's charge them $15, okay? So they would go, you know what? Rome wants us to collect $15, and all the people would be like, oh, I know it's not $15. And so they would give 15 The tax collectors would get it. They would pocket some money. They would give the rest to Zacchaeus, and then they would give to Rome. And so these tax collectors were stealing from their own people. And so when the people, the Israelites, looked at tax collectors, they were far worse than the enemy. And a lot of them considered Rome the enemy. These people stole from their own people to be rich. They lived in fat cribs with like, you know, waterfalls and fountains and, you know, and people are like scraping by trying to eat and they were just living it up. Now it states that he was the chief of all these people. That means he just sat there and told people, give me money. And he would just collect the money of all the people who worked under him. He's kind of like the top drug dealer, right? You know, he would be like, go sell my stuff. And then he would just collect all the money and then he would just buy whatever he wanted. Now, he's a super successful man, and so he wouldn't usually hang out with people and the commoners and things like that, always with the rich people throwing parties or just, you know, hiding away in his house, whatever it was, but he was rich. But something piqued his curiosity. Now, imagine with me a guy so rich that he does whatever he wants, right? Many of your dreams are like that. My friend was like that. I remember he would be like, Bob, you want to go golfing? And I was like, ugh. He was like, let's go to Westfield Golf Club. And it's this super nice golf club. And I was like, yo, man, that's like $80, $100 every time we play golf, right? And I would, I would show up and I would be like, oh, I hope he found like a special deal or something like that. And he'd be like, don't worry, I got you. And I was like, oh, thank you. And then he would be like, yo, they got popcorn right there in the thing. It's free. You can grab some coffee. And I would be like, free coffee and popcorn. You know, so I would be like collecting all these free things and be like, yo, yeah, grab some teas. And they give you some towels for your face and for your clubs. And I was like, towels for clubs? 
right? It was kind of like a different lifestyle, right? And I was like, this is awesome. And so, you know, enjoying all that kind of stuff. And so for him, it was like that. He was living in luxury, not dealing with any of this stuff, just living in comfort. And then all of a sudden, something, what would pique someone who had everything's curiosity? Jesus was doing stuff that was so incredible that he was making arms grow, that he was making people who couldn't walk rise, blind people were seeing, and the word was spreading everywhere. It was like the spectacle of all spectacles. If you can imagine, like social media, you see like, you know, the kid who grew up in the project, lost his parents, gets on American Got Talent, and he looks like a weird fool, and then he gets up and he starts singing, and people start weeping. You post it on Facebook, Right? Because you want people to enjoy that with you. So that was what was happening. Jesus was the new hip thing, and Zacchaeus came out of his rich comforts because something piqued his curiosity, and he said, I want to see what that is. He shows up, and you would think people would be like, oh, rich man Zacchaeus, please come to the front so you may see, you know. Jesus coming through. I know you want to see him. It wasn't like that. I could, in my head, after reading through this story, I could imagine everybody was there, and then they noticed the key is coming through, and everyone just got a little bit tighter and wider, right? And then just rows of people, and Zacchaeus was short. You know, not like 5'7", because that's tall. 5'2", right? 5'7". It's not short, okay? And 5'2", maybe 5'1", and maybe he came up and he was just like, oh, I want to see. And the people were just like, nope, not going to see it, right? And everyone, and later you find out that they hated him, right? And so they're just all blocking his way, and he was just trying to be like, oh, man, you know, I'm the one's letting me through and just trying to see. And then in his mind, he was like, I got to see, I got to see, What would make this rich man so curious? It's this hype, this thing that he would go up to a sycamore tree, climb up, and he's like, I got to see it. And he's just looking. One of the things you have to know is that rich people, especially older people who are rich, do not climb trees. You know who climbs trees? Children, beggars, poor people, whatever it is. You know why back then people don't climb trees if you're a grown man? Because you wore robes, okay? (laughs) It's like kind of, it's not pants, it's like free-flowing, okay? That's why when the father ran to the son, it was indignant. He would have to like roll up and, you know, things would happen and exposure and all that stuff. Imagine if you were wearing a rich robe and you climbed up on a tree. It's not dignifying. You're up in that tree. You could be fully exposed. You're like probably pulling all your robe in so nobody can see your stuff, and you're looking and waiting, and you're just like, like, who is this Jesus? Is it real? Is the hype real? And he's just sitting up there. He just wants to get a glimpse. Now, was it Zacchaeus' intention to want to see Jesus so that he could repent and give up his riches? Did he wake up that morning and he was like, Yo, man, my house is awesome. My horses are awesome. You know, that's like cars back then, right? And I have servants. I have all the food that I want. It's awesome. But I want to jack that up. I'm going to destroy everything I had ever built, everything I had ever done. You know what? I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to go pursue a rabbi that nobody cares about, nobody knows about, some hype, and I'm just going to give it all up. No, he woke up. His life was great. He wanted to watch America's Got Talent. That was it. He wanted to see what all the hype was. He wanted to see what all the things that people were saying. He wanted to see what was going on. He had no intention of jacking up his life. He wanted to continue, and maybe he dreamt of more money. Maybe he dreamt of more things. And he woke up that morning with no intention to climb that tree, no intention to seek Jesus, no intention to bring him home, no intention of anything. He just went there, and then the emotions and all the situational things brought him on top of that tree. Jesus was also, seems like, just passing through on his way to Jerusalem. 
And maybe some of you are here, maybe because your parents forced you to be here. How many of you are here because your parents said you have to go? Dolphin laugh. Oh, my. What's your name? Josh. Awesome. Your parents forced you to be here. Many of you, I, you know, you have to be here because your parents forced you to be here. Maybe you got hurt at the church like my friend, my iBanking friend who left the church, never went back, just lived it up. He did drugs. He, like, did everything you could ever imagine. He had the money to do it, and he did it. He did everything, owned everything. He even bought his parents just a house. Imagine how rich you have to be in your 20s to be like, yo, I'm buying you a house, and just, Northern Virginia, house. You need a car? Car. And he did anything and everything. And he went to youth group with me. And he was so hurt by the church that he was like, I'm not going back. I don't need it. Why would I need it if I can do everything and accomplish everything and live the way that I want? And so he did. Maybe some of you are just curious because somebody asked you to come and you wanted to see what it's about to hang out with people. You know, Many of you didn't intend to come to this place to meet with Jesus. Maybe some of you were even scared that you're going to go through some kind of emotional roller coaster. Maybe you're just, there's no intentionality. You're just here. But what I want you to know that it's not your intentionality that brings you to Christ, it's His intentionality to pursue you. And that is not an accident. Do you remember what happens in this story? Zacchaeus was up in the tree. He didn't really want to. He just wanted to check out what it was. What happens next is crazy. Jesus comes up, and he passes everybody, and he gets right under the tree, and he goes, Zacchaeus, I'm going to chill at your crib. And Zacchaeus is like, What? Because he did not come to talk to Jesus. He just wanted to see what he's about. How do we know what the scripture tell us in this text to let us know that it was Jesus who was being intentional and not Zacchaeus? Because everything here, right here in this place, tells us that Zacchaeus went up the tree because he had to. Zacchaeus was forced and he was curious. He was peaked. He had everything he wanted in life and he was on that tree and Jesus comes and what does he say to Zacchaeus for the first time that he meets him? He doesn't say, strange short man on the tree, come down. What does he say? Zacchaeus. They had never met. He had never told them his name. Jesus was there and he was going to his house and he knew his name. For you and I, God knows your name because he knit you together in your mother's womb. And with intentionality, you are sitting in this place, not because you came. Just because your parents forced you to come, wasn't, that doesn't mean it's your parents' decision. What it tells you is that God needed you to be here. He needed you to hear this word. And he needed you to be in the very place you are, ex- having experienced the very things you have, to bring you to this place. Whether it's like you don't care about it, you don't even want to be here, whatever state you're in is exactly what he has prepared. And the word of God that you are listening to is what he has for you. All of it. All of it is an ocean of grace while you're sitting in this room and listening to the gospel. There is no accident when it comes to Jesus. It is not about your intentionality, what you want from him. It's about what he wants in you, and it is himself. He is the intentional one. Number two 
Every encounter with Jesus is an opportunity to expose our idols, the deep things, the things that we hide, the things that we don't ever speak to. We'll talk more about idols and, and, and the root of it and affections and all these things, but Dr. Keller gives us a pretty good definition of what uh, an idol is. So what is an idol? He says, it is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give what only God can give to you. Your worth, your security, your joy. An idol is whatever you look at and then you say in your heart of hearts, in the deepest places, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. It is what you worship that is your idol if it is not God. Now, some of you, let me, let me tell you what that looks like. Okay? For some people, it's sports. Some people, it's beauty. Some people, it's school. Some people, it's ministry. Now, think with me. Why is it that you change your haircut all the time? right? Think about it, okay? This is for boys. Sometimes the boys, I noticed this pattern, like there was a time when like K-drama guys like started wearing their hair like all curly, right? And, and then all of a sudden I noticed all across when I spoke at churches that all the boys started getting pama, right? It's like all fluffy and pamaed up and you know, and then their long hair. And then before that, it was like short hair spiked up at a point, you know, so everyone, it's like my hair from like, you know, 2000. I keep going at the same time. And everyone had that hair. Then we transitioned to this pama hair, right? And I was like, man, I wonder how long the pama hair is going to go, you know, and it's going and going. And then all of a sudden I noticed like man buns. Have you noticed those things? It's like, and they're like people online who are going and cutting off those man buns, you know? Like, they're like, oh, God. And then now, there's like this new style, right? And I bet some of you are like, Amaba, please. Can you please take me to the barbers? I need this haircut, right? They like cut it super short, and then they comb everything over on one side. Right? And this takes like preparation because you have to grow out your hair for a long time so that you can get it to a proper length. And then you have to ask them to put a line on your head right? so that you know where to divide it. And then you flick it over and then you gel it across the top and it looks like the 50s haircut. Now that's what it is. Now tell me why. Why in the deepest part of your heart must you have that hair. Why? Why before a big retreat or a big event? Because there's a deep part of you that finds your identity in what other people think of you and your hair and your trendiness that you're with it. It's not what God thinks of you. I'm not saying this so that, <laughs> I'm, this is my fear that some of you are going to go in your room and be like, you know, and like shave your hair. That's not the point. Don't. You can get whatever haircut you want, keep it, do whatever it is, you know. What I'm saying is you have to ask the important question, why do I dye my hair yellow, you know, for girls? Why do I put a line in my head? You have to ask, like, what is it that is so important to you and to your identity that it moves you to change your very being? What is it about what other people think of you that captures your heart so much that you have to have it. What is it about buying the new, you know, Steph Curry's that is better than having like the Reeboks at, you know, TJ Maxx? When I was growing up, my parents used to take me to TJ Maxx and we would get British Knights. 
Nobody knows what British Knights are. But they're like, no, nobody wears those. I think the company went out of business. And I remember my mom and dad would be like, and we would like put up pictures of, you know, the new Nike flights and the Reebok pumps. That was huge back then. And then my parents would be like, oh, $120, $150. I can't. So they would take us to TJ Maxx. It's like, oh, name brand. You pick anything you want. And, you know, I would be like going and like, what is British Knights, you know? And then I would have to, like, to wear the British Knights to school. And all my friends would be like, dude, what are you wearing? And I would be like, it's cool, man. It's from Britain. What is it? Like, why can't you wear the other shoe? Do you jump higher? No. I've seen you guys play. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. Does it make you, it, it's inside. There is some deep longing that makes you believe that the line on the hair, the shoes, the clothes, like why did you transition from baggy jeans to super tight jeans? Why? Like why is it so tight that I can see every muscle in your body? Like why would you do that? Because you Find your identity in what people and the masses think is cool. Because when you do it, you're cool. And what Dr. Keller is letting you know is that you're deeply ingrained into making other people's opinion of you your very worth, your very significance, your very being is found in it. You have to keep following this trend. This is who you are. This is what you pursue. This is why you can't just be yourself. Now, when I bring this up, some of the kids are like, it's not me. I had the line before everybody else. They get mad, you know? They're like listening to me preaching. They're just like, man, who you think you are? Picking me out. I'm not trying to expose you so that you're embarrassed about the choices you make. What I'm telling you is that I was that kid. I was sitting there and I followed all the trends. I I pegged my jeans and I don't know what that is called now, but I folded my jeans and I walked around. There was a time when my friends wore their jeans backwards. The zipper was in the back, and there was nowhere to pee because a group called Crisscross was like, Crisscross will make you jump. And then they wore their jeans backwards. So everybody wore their jeans backwards. And I remember my friend, I was like, I have to go to the bathroom. I was like, dude, how are you going to pee? And he was like, I don't know, man. Should have thought about it, you know? So he had to take his whole pants off to go use the bathroom. This is what I'm saying. You and I are exactly the same. We look at trends. We look at what the stars do. We look at what they wore. Why do you want to wear socks with the lines and the dots in the back when you play basketball? Because they told you. That's cool. Why did you switch your glasses from black frames that are square and just on your face to round frames? How many of you know about round frames? Because they told you it's cool. You keep taking your worth and your being and you attach it to what everyone else tells you you have to do to remain relevant and cool. And what happened to Zacchaeus is exactly like what is happening to you. You are finding your worth in something other than God and who he tells you you are. This is why many of you stand in front of a mirror and you say, why does my hair look this way? Why does, why does my body look this way? Why does my eye is so small? And some of you like get surgery and cut your eye to make it look bigger. I mean, it is like endless. It is 
Just continuing to live in that place where you are told your worth, your significance, your joy is going to be found when you follow what other people are doing and their approval, and you do it again and again and again. And what I'm saying is for Zacchaeus, when he was on that road, when he was comfortable, he didn't even know that wealth and all that he had was his idol, and it captured his heart, and it was his worth. But it was when Jesus came and he didn't even say it. He just said, I want to go to your house. And Zacchaeus was so joyful. He came out of the tree and he started walking. And the Bible says as he was walking, people started grumbling. And they started saying, oh, there goes Jesus and he's going to stay with the sinner. And people are like, oh, there goes Jesus and he's going to stay with the sinner. And then people are just whispering and whispering and whispering. And it got so loud. What does the Bible say? In verse 7, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of who is a sinner. And then in verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood. Now, if you don't read the Bible carefully, you would skip over that word stood and not look at, like, what does that mean? Because what was Zacchaeus, what was he doing? He got out of the tree and he was walking to his house with Jesus. Wasn't he standing Why would the Bible all of a sudden say he stood? Have you thought about that? Like in my mind, I was like, he was going and then he sat down and then he was like, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So I went and looked at the original language in you know, Greek and basically what it is, is it made him stop. He stood still. So look at this picture. He's like, He's like, oh my God, this Jesus, this hype, this amazing man, he came, he knows my name, oh yeah, let's go to my house. And he was so hyped, so happy, he's like, I'm going to my house with Jesus, I'm going to show him my pool, I'm going to show him my luxury, I'm going to show him my camels, what's up Jesus? And he was on his way, and he was excited for Jesus to come to his house, and then all the whispers, and everyone started saying, that sinner, the sinner, and just got louder and louder, and it got so loud that he stopped. And I believe, and the reason why I believe is because of the verse that follows. I believe this is the moment, apart from Jesus even saying it to his face, the preparation and all that was necessary for Zacchaeus to come face to face with the with what the horrors of his sin were. For all the many years that Zacchaeus had been stealing from the people, for all the times he took advantage to live in luxury, he didn't have to hang out with the common people that he stole from. He just lived his life. He lived in luxury. He lived in comfort. And all of a sudden, in this very moment, in that place, the way that Jesus set it up, he not even saying a word, the people started to screaming out, that sinner, 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 sinner. All of a sudden, it blew up, and it caused him to stop in his track. For the first time in his life, he was exposed for the sinner that he was, that he took advantage of every person that was in that place who blocked him, who wouldn't let him get to Jesus, and he saw it. He didn't have to look at the face of the very people he was stealing from, but in that moment, standing next to Jesus and being loved by him, he faced the very people that he had stolen from, the masses. And they all looked at him and said, Sinner, you waste of a human being who take advantage of us. There's this powerful movie called Schindler's List. If you ever have a chance to see it, it's about the Jewish people. And, and there's this guy and he's taking advantage of the system and the Nazis, and he's making tons of money off the Nazis. And he hires this Jewish guy, accountant, and he's helping him and all this stuff. And he would plead for the life of the Jewish people. And he would say, just one more. Can we, can we do this to hire these people into your factory? And they'll make you money. Just do it, do it. And he would do it and do it. And, and the number of Jews kept growing. And the Nazis are searching for the Jews. And all these horrible things are happening. But, you know, Schindler, all he was doing was trying to make money. And he was making money money after money and his heart was consumed with just money 
kissing up to these horrible, horrible people, the Nazis, and paying people off, all of it just to be more greedy to himself. And there's a scene. I'm sorry, I'm going to ruin the movie. But I must. At the end of the movie, he comes, and there's a factory full of Jewish people that he saved with all his wealth, giving away, by the end, almost everything that he had, and just people just looking at him, and Savior, who had given all the corrupt wealth to save the people. And as they began to sing, and they began to rejoice in his sacrifice, in his heart, he was broken, because he was a sinful man, and yet he saw the result He saw what his evil longing desire and how that being flipped upside down redeemed the lives of the people. And you see him crouching at the car and he's saying, this car, this car, how many more people could have saved this car? He looks at his watch, fancy watch, and he says, how many more would have been saved if I'd given this watch? And he saw his idols, the fullness, what it cost. And how easily, readily he would have given it up if he had seen what it would have purchased, the freedom and the joy that was possible if he would have just known earlier, if he would have just given up the car, if he would have just given up the watch, there could have been three more lives, it could have been ten more people, and he just crumbled at the feet of seeing what his heart was attached to, and it wasn't worth what he would receive if he let it go. In this very moment, as Zacchaeus was exposed of his idol of wealth and money and living it up, two things happened. Jesus first loved him by calling out his name, intentionally seeking him and saying, I want intimacy with you. Go to your house. And number two, there was an exposure of his sin, of his idols. You know what's lacking in most of our lives? We try to expose our idols without the love. Or we try to just shower people with love without exposing their idols. You know what's powerful in our lives? When you are first so deeply, unquestionably loved, so cherished, and it is seen in the greatest sacrifice on the cross, and then your deepest insecurities, your deepest idols, all the things that you fear are exposed in the light of that love. Then transformation is possible. But you try to do one without the other, And it destroys you. I do a lot of counseling, and um, I remember boys, you know, they they always, it's like, I can almost guarantee, you know, when a boy's like, Pastor Bobby, can I talk to you? You know, (laughs) so it's usually about a girl they think is the one, you know, it's like, Pastor Bobby, I was praying and God told me she's the one. I'm like, but you're in seventh grade. How are you going? You going to support her? It's like, you know, I'm willing to work jobs. It's like, nobody going to give you jobs. It's like, you know, maybe my parents will take us in. You know, like, I don't know. It's just saying stuff. It's one of those. Or the second one that I always get is like, boys are like, they look distraught. I mean, their face is just, it's like after message, they're convicted. They, you know, they're like trying to love Jesus. And it's been like this long fight and they come and they're like, I'm so scared to talk to you, but Pastor Bobby, I'm addicted to pornography. This is like almost guaranteed, you know, and they're like, please don't look down on me, you know, and I'm like, you know, your friend, that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy, everybody's addicted, you know, and they're like, oh, okay. I thought I was alone, you know, and then I was like, it's so painful, it's so hard, and it's just, 
And then, you know, they're, they're saying, like, from this place of, like, I love Jesus, and I, I don't, and then, like, I don't, I hate it. Every time I look at it and afterwards I feel dirty and gross, so I just sleep, you know, and, I, and then I shower and then I go, and then I tell Jesus after the shower, like, I will never do it again. Like, never! And then they go and, like, read the Bible, you know, and they're like, blessed are the pure in heart. How can a young man keep his way pure? And they, like, post it up on their wall, you know, and then, like, the next day, you know, they fall, and then they're like, God, you know, and just, just, but it's this endless hate for this thing that so captured their heart, and it happened so early in their life, and it just keeps taking over and consuming their heart, you know, and I, I share with them also my struggles, and I was exposed so early, and, and, and even when I didn't even understand what that stuff was, and how it like unraveled my mind, and it consumed my heart, and it destroyed me, they feel so much shame, and guilt, and feeling like they'll never escape it. And most boys, they have one of two choices. Either get a bunch of friends that go, dude, man, that's normal. You know, it's like, I do it, he does it, we do it. Ah, let's laugh about it. That's one way. Or you get a bunch of other boys who are like, I hate myself too. You know, and you sit around and you're like, oh, I hate myself. You know, and the other guy's like, me too. I hate myself. I hate me. You know, and then you just sit around talking about how much you hate yourself. Or the other side is like, man, it's awesome. (laughs) It's sin. It destroys the heart of God. You can't let that go. But you also can't Live in guilt and shame. You weren't meant for that. You weren't meant to beat yourself up to the point of hopelessness because that is the opposite of the gospel. And tonight we're going to talk about the root of idol and the affections that capture and all those things. But basically what it's coming down to is that these things that so chain us, that make us feel so dirty and distant from God, what God is saying is exposure of these things that you hide in your heart that you're bombarded by and chained by the freedom of those things is what abundant life that I have sent my son to die for is. I promise you that there is a day coming when my son will return and he will bring you home. No more tears, no more shame, no more guilt. And in the life that he lived, in the death for your sins, that he will set you free and you will no longer want these idols and things. You will no longer worship and give your life to these things that cause you darkness. We are a people of hope. And if not being set free today and on this day, then every single day a fight for freedom is what we are called to, to be sanctified by this love, that the exposure of these sins in safe places with friends and the hope of encouraging one another in the gospel is what you're called to until he calls you home. You know, one of the most blessing things that I have is, you know, friends and people. And, I, you know, with the pastor friends that I have, every Tuesday we have these, like, crazy awkward meetings, right? I mean, it's not awkward now, but in the beginning you're all sitting there. You're like pastors, right? You're the ones who lead the churches and stuff like that. And we, we sit there and we're like, how was your week, you know? And usually people are like, you know, it was pretty good. And then, but we don't ask how was your week. He was like, did you watch anything that you're not supposed to? And you're like, <laughs> well, there's this commercial, you know, and it went by, and I gazed a little too low, you know, and I, you just go through it, all of it, and you say, and is there a woman that your heart, you know, is going towards that is not your wife? I mean, we ask, like, crazy hard questions to each other's face, and we just go at it, and we just confess and talk about it, and then at the end, you know what the last question we ask? Did you lie? In any of those things? 
So you could get by and just be like, ah, you know, I didn't really do it. And at the last question, you're like, oh, I did. There's a little more. You know? And then you go through and you just work through that. You know why? Because exposure in the confines of the gospel, those who truly, truly, deeply get the gospel and the safety that offers and the love, that this balance of the love and the exposure is what we need to realize we weren't meant to live chained in sin. God is offering you the universe of freedom. But every time you live shackled in chains, you live in a box. A cell, three by three, in jail, chained to these things, and you're saying, I think this is the best it could be. I, I, I don't really know how to get the yeah, Keep struggling, and you just... And he's saying, will you let me in my love and in my kindness expose the deep idols in your heart? Let me set you free so that your walls will be broken and you will live in freedom and grace. You need both. Anyone who says that just grace, just love, just his pursuing, just him longing for you dwell there, you must dwell there. It is the foundation of the power that will set you free from your idols and sin. But you cannot just remain there. We are called to live a life of an abundance that he has told us in the scriptures. A life of freedom, a life of joy, a life of healing from our wounds. And lastly, really quick, The very power of transformation is in the relationship that is being offered by Christ. God will not command us to do something that he will not give us the power to do. Think about that. God will never ask us to do something without that very life-giving power to do that which he has called us to do. He does, he has, he's broken the chain of sin, death. And now that abundant life, every single day we go towards it and he breaks that chain and one day soon he will return when there will be no more shame, guilt, pain, sin, brokenness in this world and we live as the most hopeful people in this generation. That's what separates us because we know that there is power in his promises. They're not just promises because it is God. It is his very word that created the heavens and the earth. And so in his very words and commandments to ask you to live a pure life is the very power of that life. There's a famous saying, and they say, until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. You guys ever heard that? Until sin be bitter, Christ can't be sweet. So in your life, you're like, oh, I got to kill my sin so that Jesus will be sweet. That's my goal. For me, I don't like it. (laughs) I mean, you know what I love? When Christ is sweet. Sin can only be bitter. I love, I love Christ and who he is and that love and that safety allowed Zacchaeus to say the very things that he said. You know what he said? I, Lord, will give half of my goods to the poor, and if I defrauded anyone of anything, I would fourfold. And when I first read that, I was like, why only half? Sucker, give it all away. You know, I was like, why why only, you know, because I got to live on it. But then I realized that's not what he was saying. He said, I'm going to give half to the poor. That means immediately just all his money is going to the poor, half of it. And then the next part, wreck. If I have ever defrauded anybody, four times that amount 
I will give to them. That's everybody. What would cause a man to find so much freedom from his idols and the things that he loves so much that he would give it all away? What would make him accept deeply the exposure of his sins? Dr. Keller said this, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, well, a lot, that's a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficult life can throw at us. There was a time in my life, and I'm going to share a little more of this tonight, when I just went through hell. Like, I mean, it was, you know, like not having Madison and, you know, baby longing that 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 happened, but there's also crazy other stuff. And as I was going through this thing, my church was falling apart. So youth group parents were coming up and saying like, you know what? If you keep him on staff, we're out. Our tithing, our support, and you know, deacons of the church, we're taking our whole family and leaving. This is about me. We would have PTA meetings and people would like stand up and everybody was just like, you know what? Get rid of him. The church is falling apart because of him. And I was there in the middle of all of that and just broken and I couldn't say anything and all I did was kept apologizing I'm sorry and you know my EM went from like hundreds to like nobody like literally no one was there youth group kids had all left I mean church was just falling apart financially everything and root was me as my life was like completely falling apart, and I'll share more about why all that stuff happened, I remember uh, Pastor IJ uh, at UVA, he invited me to come because he knew I was a mess, and he was like, hey, why don't you come to Harvest? Larry's speaking. Right? And so I was like, yes. I hadn't seen him after all these things happened, and I remember he was speaking, and I was like, he was just like, just come, don't do anything, sit in the back, and just receive the gospel, and just heal, and pray, and things, so I was like, okay, and I was a broken man back then, so I I went up, and I was just like sitting in the back, and I was like, you know, and at this point, this was my prayer every day, I was like, God, can you let me quit, and I had already tried to resign like two, three times at church, and I was like, please, No one wants to hear me preach. Like, nobody's inviting me to speak. Nobody wants to be under my ministry. Like, just let me quit. Let me work at Home Depot. Like, Home Depot was my dream. Like, I was just like, then I can just cut wood and show people where the stuff is, and I'll love you that way. I'll teach Bible study, whatever. Just let me do. I I just don't want to be in ministry and have everyone hate me. Like, just let me do it. No answers. So I would sit there and I would pray that prayer like, God, Home Depot, think about it. I'm going to be a manager one day, maybe rise up, maybe be like a vice president. I don't know. I'll just do what you asked me to do. And I, and I was praying those prayers and I remember Larry preached and he was preaching the gospel. I don't even think I, I remember, you know, like too much of all of it, but, you know, he preaches faithfully the gospel and I was so broken and I remember we were having prayer time, and it was just like this, chairs everywhere, and I was like sitting way in the back, and Larry was like right there in the, in the middle, and he came, and he was talking and praying with people, and then we met eye contact, and then Larry was like, come here. Oh, yeah, you call him Dave DL, but we called him Larry, so it's just DL equals Larry, okay? And so he, Larry was like, come, and so I was like, okay. So I, 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 you know, I went by, and I was very sheepish. I was like, And I remember in my heart, I was so broken that I was just waiting because I just had experiences with other pastors, my friends in the presbytery who would walk away from me. These are the friends who gave me hugs and they just walked away, wouldn't say hi. And so I was so, so deeply broken, almost to a point where I expected rejection every time I met someone I knew. And I remember walking in, and just walking up to Larry, and Larry was like, come. 
And then he started sharing. And he was like, are you okay? And I was like, no. <laughs> Jacked up. And Larry was like, he started saying, I heard a lot of stuff. A lot of rumors. A lot of people telling me about what you did, what you didn't do. All these things. And I was like, you know, because everyone believed the rumors. There was even a rumor that I had divorced twice. You know, that I had my own affair. I mean, there was just crazy stuff going around. And Larry said, and this was what changed everything, was he said, he didn't say, I love you. I know those things aren't true. He said, even if those things are true, I will stand with you. And I will work side by side with you. And I think I just started crying. To be a man who's so, so deeply broken and so rejected by his peers, by his church, by the leaders that I had invested in for 10, 15 years, and then to have this brother of mine who was so far and so distant, who got the gospel so deeply that he would say, even if, those things were true. I will walk with you. And he said, let me pray for you. And he held me and he started weeping as he prayed for the hope in Christ and the gospel. And I wept and wept and wept. That's the reason why I asked him to officiate my second marriage. There would be no one else. Because it was a message of a broken man full of sin, making all the wrong choices, so deeply shattered, who found grace, undeserving, unmerited favor that is so powerful that it makes you hope once again that you can overcome sin and live a life that is abundant and powerful for his glory. His heart reflected the heart of my Savior who kept saying, do you preach because you are good, because you are wanted, or do you preach because I have a message that must be heard? And I knelt and I said, I will no longer preach for my glory and my fame and what I want people to think of me. It is for you. Because you saved me in my darkest, rejected, broken state when I had nothing to give and no one wanted me. You see, if you just get exposed of all your deep junk without the love, then there is no power to repent. The Bible is beautiful because it says it's your kindness that brings us to repentance. And repentance is a changed life. It is abundant. It is powerful. It no longer is I'm going to try not to look at porn or not to sin or hate other people so that I can be a good Christian. It is that this stuff is keeping me from this love that is so powerful, that is so deep. Zacchaeus was given the love that was necessary and the exposure of the idol that is necessary for a transformed life. And so I hope that for the next few days, you will receive both. That you are deeply, unfathomably loved, and there are things in your life that you need to let go of so that you can have abundant life and freedom. Let's pray. <clears throat> Think about why you do all the things you do in your life. From haircuts to shoes to glasses to the parties you go to, 
why you refuse to take the sticker off your hat. Like you are literally controlled, all of your heart, your worth, your affections, your joys, everything is controlled by what other people think about you. And what I'm saying is you will eventually somewhere down the line discover who you really are, that you you do like the sticker on your hat or the goatee or the line in your hair, but it can't be because you're following other people or to fit in or so that you'll be liked by other people. I mean, this just shows and exposes the deep insecurity that exists inside of you, that your worth infinitely is definitely not secured by the finished work of Christ. That his declaration that you are his, that nothing can ever change that. It, it, it clearly shows that there are other things that you have tied your worth and joy into. But let me tell you that his love, which is so powerful, gives you the safety today to finally let go of what you feared the most, of being a fraud, of being exposed of you, all of your idolatry, inconsistency, hypocrisy, all these things, that there is a love that allows you to let him expose it. For the first time, come face to face with the reality of who you really are so chained by your friend's voice, so chained by the popular culture, just chained, unable to make decisions in freedom. And that exposure is the most grace that we could ever hope for. Because for the first time in that kindness, it'll bring you to deep repentance. God, I find my worth and my joy in all these things instead of you. Instead of your finished work, I want to repent of those things. Set me free. So can we take time to repent? Allow him. He's intentional. He's intentionally brought you here to help you be exposed. Let him. you say this with me? Holy Spirit, I surrender before you who I am. Would you have mercy on my soul and expose my idols? Let me come face to face as I sit in the mercy of your grace. as I drink in the safety of your love, would you expose these idols in my heart of control, of safety, of comfort, of friends, my GPA, my popularity, my well-known sports ability, the school I attend, I, I tie my identity with my, the name of my school. Every time I meet people, I want to drop the name of what is it? What is it that you're finding your identity in?
and ask him for the strength, the very strength and the grace to deeply repent and to long for a life of freedom. I'm going to invite the praise team to come. The transformed life that each one of us is seeking for, a powerful, God-fearing, other people-loving life cannot happen without the exposure of all the things that we put our identity and our worth in that's above God. And so as we allow the Holy Spirit to do that work in your small groups throughout the days for the rest of your life, worship the one who lets you do it in the safety of his love. So let's pray together and then The worship team will lead us.